Y'all thought them note cards was because the sermon was going to be dope this morning, didn't you? <laughs> hey, thank you for writing that for real. Uh, when we leave today, you can hand them to the, uh, the greeters at the doors, and we would love to bless Campbell that way. Uh, feel free to write throughout the first couple minutes of my sermon, or if halfway through you like, this sermon's whack. You can start writing then too, all right? We want to bless the school, so thank you, thank you. Uh, this is the last, y'all are closing out Campbell. This is it, all right? It's uh, awesome, so glad y'all are here. Good to be here uh, this morning. Y'all ready to move to Martin? Yeah, anybody who sat on the floor the past couple of weeks are like, brother, we've been ready, player. Right? Like, and uh, you think about it, it's like, man, it looks like, oh, there's a little bit of space here. We could fill out a little bit more, except all the college students are still on break, most of them. And so uh, once the 150 come back, besides Ruben, was that you, dog? I see you. All right, when they come back, most of them, uh, we're going to fill it back up. And so it's encouraging to actually move to Martin and uh, to be able to kind of grow in that space and to uh, really see more people be able to be reached for the gospel and different parts of the city. So we're excited about that. We'll get to that in a little bit uh, later. One thing, though, I do want to say that I'm super encouraged about uh, is that at Martin, there's the ability to actually connect more naturally. And so there are like courtyards and different places to kind of hang out. And so uh, I know a lot of times after church, you're like, man, I kind of want to connect with this person, or you see that girl you're trying to holla at, and you want to go find her, all right? But there's a bunch of chairs, there's no places to talk. At Martin, there'll be places for that, okay? So we'll be able to connect with each other and have more weddings at the well, hallelujah, all right? So uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, Also encouraged to kind of take Timothy uh, into the well, and so that's where we're going to pick up is where we left off last week in 2 Timothy. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. If you need a Bible, the ushers are going to come forward, and if you would just raise your hand, uh, we would encourage you to actually take and to keep that, particularly if you don't own a Bible. Man, that's your Bible, uh, your gift. We want you to be able to have that, to use that, uh, to be able to really worship the Lord uh, through the reading of his word in that way. And so that's our gift to you. You can also follow along on your smartphone. The instructions are on the screen with the YouVersion app or the link in the browser. Uh, We say this every week because we mean it. We want your eyes on the word because, listen, a lot of times, y'all, the word is kind of like braille, okay? Like every once in a while, there will be something that literally the Holy Spirit illuminates. It feels like it almost lifts off the page because God is trying to interact with you in and through his word. We believe the Lord still speaks to us today, and he speaks supernaturally at times, but he also speaks most commonly through his word where he's already spoken uh, by his grace. And so we want to interact with the scriptures to be able to uh, hear God's word, to uh, receive that from him, to know him in that way. So would encourage you to follow along in that way. Um, as we prep to move to Martin, really our, our hope is that we would be there, we would bless the city, that we would really make much of Jesus there, really carry the torch to really be uh, influential in Austin in general. And so we're excited about the move to Martin. I will say too, uh, if anybody is sitting on a couple mill or some land that you want to throw around, we'll gladly not move to Martin and take that, all right? And so so we still want our own space, okay? So if you're a, in a Ferrari or a Jaguar switching four lanes, you're top down, you're screaming out money and a thing, holla at your boy, all right? I just wanted to, want to preface it with that, all right? You're like, my man's quoting Jay-Z before he's preaching. All right, come on, we in this, okay? Uh, man, but as we move, we want to carry the torch. And last week, we looked at how Paul was really doing that with Timothy. He was saying, man, God's given you gifts. God's given you talents. God has given you calling. God has given you 
vision and purpose and really take this torch and run with it, Timothy. And we said, man, we feel like God has also given us some of that, that he's given us these gifts and these talents and these people in the church that can really make much of Jesus here in the city. In fact, we believe that the Lord has kind of given us to some extent some of the spiritual mantle for Austin as a church, that as collectively when we gather together, that we are able to really uh, bless this city. And I believe that if we take that torch and if we run with it, if we keep making much of Jesus, then man, Austin will look different before our generation is done. And that's what we desire to see. And so we don't just desire to see individuals impacting the world. We actually want all of us individually and collectively to make much of Jesus. So Paul is encouraging Timothy to do that, but he's also encouraging Timothy to help his church do that. And so as God encourages us as individuals, let us encourage each other to take this torch and to run with it for the sake of Jesus, because he's worthy of his name being exalted in our hearts and in this world around us. And so that's what Paul is hitting on here, and really he picks up this same idea uh, where we left off last week of telling Timothy, hey, use your gifts, fan into flame, walk in what I've called you to walk in. He picks up where we left off. So 1 Timothy, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Let's pick up there. It says, therefore, so remember, whenever you see therefore, you ask, what is it there for? Okay, so it's therefore, what I just told you, fan into flame, use your gifts, walk in this, okay? Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Hallelujah which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What a powerful sentence. For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. My, my, my. So many powerful things here, okay? Uh, first of all, we see uh, this encouragement towards Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel. Paul, in both verses 8 and 12, uses the same word. That word there is ashamed, and you can see it there on the screen. And he's encouraging Timothy, look, do not be ashamed. Walk in the reality of the gospel. And then Paul also uses the word suffer in verses 8 and 12 as well, encouraging young Tim to be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And so he's saying, look, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Be willing to suffer for the gospel. It's the power of God, which is a very, very, very important point. If we're to carry the torch of spirituality for Austin, if we are to use the gifts that God has given us to make much of Jesus in our lives, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, if we are to fan into flame the gift that God has given us, then we have to be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And that's our first point there, is that, man, we need to be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Christ made it clear that in order to follow him, you must pick up your cross and die. So why we are confused when suffering comes at our doorstep is confusing to me. Do we not trust the words of our Savior? Do we think he was just speaking tongue-in-cheek? 
right? Do, do we not trust the scriptures? Because the entire New Testament, every single letter carries with it this idea that if you're going to follow Jesus, it actually also means that you are at times going to suffer with Jesus. So do we not trust the word when it says that? Do we not believe in the words of Jesus? It's littered with this idea that you will suffer in the short run, but within that, if your eyes are fixed on the long run, you'll realize that suffering is worth it. You'll realize that you're going towards something better, that really you are sowing in your seed of suffering eternal joy that will come for you. No amens on that? Hello, right? Like, man, when you suffer, if you do that for the gospel, you are sowing seeds for eternal joy. That is good news because that means your suffering isn't without purpose or cause, but rather God can use that to make much of his name. And we have to be willing as Christians to suffer for the gospel. Now, let me remind you of this context, and then I want to play it out a little bit in our lives. Paul, he's writing this letter from jail, and he's about to get executed. Chapter 4 lays it out pretty clearly, okay? And that is what happened historically. Remember at this time, though, that uh, in this culture he's writing to, it's very much of an honor-shame culture, which is not really the culture we have lived in. We'll get to that in a minute, right? But he's writing in this culture that is high on honor and shame. And so when you associate with somebody who actually uh, is doing something that people say is wrong or evil, you're not just associating with them like as your boy, you actually are identifying so much with them that the culture would end up putting what they believe about them onto you as well. And so what's happening here is that Paul is telling Timothy, listen, I want you to actually not be ashamed of the gospel or me as his prisoner, but find me, love me, support me, don't deny me. And Paul's asking Timothy a heavy thing there because what he's asking him to do is to identify with him and therefore wear the same shame that Paul is wearing. He knows it's going to be put on Timothy, but he's saying, if you realize the gospel is worth it, then it's worth it. And I want you to identify with me. Here's why this is important. If Timothy decided that kind of like in his heart, he's going to love Paul, but publicly he's not really going to because he doesn't want to uh, face the ridicule of the world around him, then what he would have been doing is not just denying Paul. He also would have been denying Paul's message. And so Paul is saying, look, it, it's so important that you actually uh, associate with me because what I am proclaiming is true. You see, other people at that time were proclaiming that if you follow Jesus, then everything in your life should be awesome. And Paul was saying, no, no, no. If you follow Jesus, sometimes that means you die. But it's worth it because Jesus is worth it. And so they're preaching two different gospel messages. One of them is really the prosperity gospel. Follow Jesus, you get good things. The other one is the true prosperity gospel that follow Jesus and you will get eternal things forever, just maybe not in the immediate. Really, we will get eternal joy forever, but maybe right now there might be seeds of suffering. And the importance of that is that, look, people were trying to deny Christ altogether, and people were trying to bend to culture to fit in with the culture so that they kind of made Christ this, uh, this figure of their culture rather than the exalted God. And Paul's saying, no, 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 I'm going to preach him as the exalted God, even if that means suffering, because he's against part of what their culture is against. And Timothy, I want you to identify with me. And so he's asking Timothy of a really, really big thing here, essentially saying to him, look, Christ was willing to suffer for you, so you should be willing to suffer for him. He was willing to lay down his life for you, so I want you to lay down your life for him. I want you to carry the torch, Timothy. I want you to not be ashamed to suffer for the message of the gospel. Okay, now, 
look, our culture in a lot of ways has turned into an honor-shame culture again, has it not? There are ways we don't mimic that, but there are ways that we do. That like, for example, if somebody posts something that's controversial on Facebook, what I see immediately is that even if it aligns with the gospel, all of a sudden they used to get 100 likes, now they only get 50 because we don't want to associate with them because we fear that people will, the shame they cast on them, it'll be cast on us as well. So we step back because we're a little bit ashamed of having shame thrown on us. Y'all tracking with that? And so this is what happens, right? I do this often. Like, I'm like, look, I'm a pastor. If somebody's like, Toriano male like that, then man, it could feel like, okay, here we go, right? And so all of a sudden, we're not willing to associate with the message or the person delivering the message because we're afraid of shame. We don't want to be ashamed, so we're entering into an honor-shame culture in a lot of ways again. And this is true holistically, like, like just real talk. Let's identify with the passage for a minute. Like, are you ashamed of Christ and the message of the gospel? Sincerely, are you ashamed of Jesus at work? Are you ashamed of Jesus in your neighborhood, at your school, when your professor thinks you're foolish, when your neighbor thinks there's something wrong with you and you're out of your mind, right? When your boss could actually fire you because he finds out you're a Christian, are you ashamed of Jesus or do you associate with Jesus in the gospel? It's really easy to actually fall into shame. Or are you ashamed of the gospel message? Like there are things in the scripture that actually highlight that there are certain things that our society does, believes in, and exalts is actually sinful and not good. Do you bend more with the scriptures or do you bend more with the society and therefore make American society your God or the scriptures your God? Do you believe that this is lined up for your good, that God is for you, that he knows what he's talking about, that he wants a blessing on your life, or do you believe the world is lined up for your good and they know what's better, and so we submit to culture instead of submitting to the gospel message? Come on now, all right? Come on, right? Like, it's easy for us not to, to associate fully with everything that's in here because we're afraid of it, but we believe in a lot of ways the same lie that Eve believed that the serpent spoke to her and said, man, God's not for your good. And so the culture says, man, this God ain't for our good. And we go, man, maybe you're right. And we begin to identify with culture more than with Christ. Are we ashamed of the gospel message? Listen, the whole gospel, not just Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but the implications of that death and what it means holistically. And it's not just the world, right? It's true also uh, in the church, where the church begins to align not against scripture, but with their own tradition. Will you step out and proclaim the glories of Christ even if the church ridicules you? You see, it was the church that condoned slavery for many, many years, and it was finally the Christians that overthrew that because they were not submitting to the word, they were submitting to a culture. And so even in the church, we can have this submission to something that's not good. So I ain't just talking about the world, it's the church. Are we submitted to the scriptures? Do we believe in the gospel message, or will we fall shamed when it goes against somebody that we kind of like or want their affection and approval, and will we shrink back from sharing? Paul is telling Timothy, you can't do that. You gotta proclaim this truth. You gotta walk in the beauty of the gospel. You need to carry this out. Our culture is in the midst, family of God, of trying to shame us out of proclaiming Christ boldly. And if you don't believe that, you must ain't talked to nobody at work recently. All right? Like they're in the midst of trying to do that. And we, in desire to not rub people the wrong way and therefore turn them off from the gospel, can go to just never proclaiming the gospel to them in the first place. And that's wrong, y'all. 
The gospel message is what saves. The gospel message is where the power is. Yes, it is offensive at times, but we need to proclaim it. We need to preach it. Listen, the first time I heard the gospel was, or the first time I remember thinking about it actively, I was in a mall, and I'm walking through the mall, and I have this varsity jacket on, and some woman comes, and she's like, uh, hey, uh, what sports do you play? And I was like, oh, you know, I play like five sports, which I did. I know it sounds weird. I should, I play football, okay? And so I was like, she was like, which one do you like best? I football. And she was like, okay. Uh, she was like, do you know what would happen to you if like you got hit in the helmet and then like you die? Do you know what, where you'd go when you die? And I was like, oh, Lord. Okay, listen. <laughs> that may not be the best way to share the gospel, all right? I, I will admit that, okay? And, but literally, what I did, y'all, was I started, like, mocking her. Like, I started making fun of her because I was with my boys, and I ain't trying to, like, you know, look like a fool in front of my boys. So I started mocking her, making fun of her, laughing at her, like, shaming her. And she was like, man, I love you. I just want to pray for you. I was like, pray? What? You know, and I'm trying to act all hard in front of my boys. And, and so we were laughing about it. Went to the movies. After the movies, that's all I was talking about. And then I went home that night, and I could not get that dang question out of my head. Like, what would happen to me if I died? And even though I shamed her publicly, I actually was beginning to allow the gospel to marinate the Holy Spirit through his power through her, even though it wasn't even the greatest gospel presentation. He began to do a work in my heart because she was unashamed for the gospel of Jesus. Here's the encouraging thing about that. She has no idea that I'm now preaching to a lot of people each week. She never saw the fruit of her work, but God did because she was unashamed of the gospel. Are you unashamed of the gospel? Are you willing to look foolish so that others might know him? That's what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do here. Oftentimes, we can either be ashamed of the gospel or suffer for the gospel. And for the Christian, there's often no middle ground. It's one or the other. We suffer or we are ashamed. Which fence do we fall along? Sometimes we operate in the spirit of fear, as verse 7 says, not of power, love, and self-control, which God has given us, which means we know that fear doesn't come from God. God, it comes from our flesh or the enemy or Satan. And so we can call fear what it is and then lean into the power of God. And what happens is, is that, man, we can keep our mouths shut and not support others at times. But man, this hurts the message of the truth. This hurts the gospel message. And really what we're doing is we're trying to win approval from a world that's doing nothing but descending into corruption anyway. Is that the approval you want? <laughs> Or do you want the approval of the God of heaven? You can't serve two masters, God says. And we have to pick which one we're going to choose. Come on now. Am I preaching to myself up here? I need a couple of amens, hallelujahs, help them, Lord, something. All right? All right? Because, then this is me, right? Listen, I often fear mockery, and I uh, embrace the fear of people more than I embrace God's power, love, and beauty in my life. I am more afraid of what you're going to say about me than what God's going to say to me. And so what happens is, is when I say something like what I just said five minutes ago, in my head I'm like, dang, there's 10 emails and five people leaving the church. And I fear that. And I fear that. And I would more long to say something that would win the approval of people than I do literally sitting under the authority of God. I struggle with that, y'all. And I know I'm not the only one. I'm afraid to share the gospel with my neighbor. I'm, a, I'm afraid to be bold for Christ in public. I'm, a, I'm afraid to stand for the things that Jesus stands for. Like if the culture's for it, like racial reconciliation, I'm like, yeah, the Bible is too. I want to stand for it, right? And we do. If the culture's against it, then I start getting a little bit timid of like, shoot, man. You know, am I winning the affection of people or of God? Listen, I struggle with it. And so I hope I'm not just preaching to myself. 
I hope you identify with your boy a little bit and say, man, actually, I can struggle with this too. Do we believe these words are true? Do we believe that God is good? Do you believe that God is for you and wants your eternal joy and nothing more than your exaltation in him? that he would be exalted and he would actually bring you with him to make much of your name because he wants to, is for you. He lays down his life and literally brings us on the throne with him, Revelation says. That's an unbelievable truth that God is so for us, but sometimes it can feel like uh, that's not true because the culture tells us that and we believe that over God. And so we're willing to be ashamed of the gospel at that point, unwilling to suffer even mockery. But in order to fan into flame well, we have to know that Christ is for us, and we have to go into the world where they might try to throw water on those flames and light those flames up anyway. And if they throw water to be relit up and to keep going forward, pushing back darkness, because Jesus truly is the love, hope, joy, and peace of this world, and we need to walk in the realities of that. Amen? Listen, I know this is true for me. Even this week in our elder meeting, on Friday morning, we're in a meeting, and Daniel Lentz, one of our elders, comes in, and he's talking about this business trip that he had this week. So he was in Dallas this whole week, and Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., he's in a room with a bunch of other finance people, which just sounds like glory. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> That sounds so fun, okay? And so he's in there all day, and they know he's a Christian, and some of them found out he's a Christian, and nobody said anything like explicit, like, you're a Christian, we hate you, right? Like, that didn't happen. People aren't like that. But these small jabs over the week, and these small little comments, and these small little pieces of mockery, and there's a little bit of shame here, and a little bit of guilt here, and even just the fact that nobody really cared for his soul, that there wasn't other believers that was for him that was just asking him, Amy, how's your day going? Even the little moments of that begin to wear so that at the end of the week, he comes back on Friday morning and says, man, my soul's just kind of tired. And what happens is, is that as we continue to see that happen, it's easy to actually become ashamed of Christ rather than to actually be bold and suffer for the gospel. And so he's even confessing that, look, your elder struggles with that, with being bold there. I struggle with that. Like, man, it is a struggle. And Timothy, the pastor of a church, he struggled with this. And so Paul is telling him, look, be bold. And Paul realizes the gifts that he has there in verse 11. He's an apostle and a prophet and a teacher. And he's saying, look, Timothy, you have gifts too. And Paul says in verse 12, because I have those gifts, this is why I suffer. Therefore, Timothy, when you use your gifts, you will likely suffer too. And I want to tell us, church, when when we use our gifts, we may suffer for the sake of the gospel, but our Jesus is worth it. He is worth it, y'all. And that's what Paul tells Timothy to do, is actually to fix our eyes on Christ. Because see, the temptation can be to be like, oh man, like I, I don't want to be a, a, a coward. I want to be bold for Jesus. I, I'm going to muster up some strength, and I ain't going to care what the world preaches. I, I'm, I'm just going to preach the gospel. I don't care what they say to me. And we can walk out of here feeling all bold and confident, like, I'm going to go preach the gospel this week, player. And then Monday morning, you ain't preaching the gospel. <laughs> Because all of a sudden, right, we feel this like shame press upon us. And so how do we actually be bold for Jesus? What does it mean to actually suffer well for the gospel, to not be ashamed of the gospel? How do we muster up the courage and the strength? Because all of us are going to at times be ashamed of Jesus. Listen, if the apostle Peter, who saw Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who saw Jesus raise people from the dead, whose very life was saved, who got prophesied, 
side over, who saw Jesus work, if he can go and in one conversation with a slave girl start denying Christ, don't you think that you can't do it either? Lest you think you're better than Peter. What was happening there? Peter was leaning into his own strength. You see, Jesus told him, the spirit is weak, but the flesh is weak. And so Peter was looking to himself and his own strength to try to stand up for Jesus, and he wasn't strong enough. And so what Paul tells Timothy here is actually, no, 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 don't look at yourself, actually look to Jesus. And that's what verses 9 through 11 are. It's this gospel exposition. Verse 8, don't be ashamed, suffer for the gospel. Verse 12, don't be ashamed, suffer for the gospel. 9 through 11, here's how you do it. You fix your eyes on Jesus. You hide behind him. Look at verse 8 and 12 again. You lean into the power of God, it says. Throw that slide up there for me, Stacey. Look at that. You lean into the power of God. That's how you find strength. You lean into Jesus's grace. You think about the beauty of the gospel is what Paul bookends this with. And when you realize this, you have no reason to be ashamed because you realize God saved your soul and he will bring you to glory. Though others may think it's foolish, it's the power of God. It's brought you life and joy and peace. Notice though what Paul says. Paul doesn't say, I know what I have believed. He says what? I know whom I have believed. You see that there? This is important, y'all. We do not believe in some theology or an ideology. We believe in a person. We have a relationship with the God of the universe, and that's what keeps us bold. So we do not ascend to some ethereal knowledge of God, and that's what keeps us strong. No, no, no. We actually submit to the person of Christ, the, the very being of Jesus. We know whom we have believed. There's relationship there, and as we dig into that relationship with Jesus, not the theology about him, but actually him, as we dig into him, it gives us power to stand bold for the sake of the gospel. And notice then, what Paul goes on to say is in verse 9, that God did not just uh, uh, bring us into the gospel. He didn't just save us, he says, but he says he called us into the gospel as well. So God didn't just bring you in to save you and that's it. No, he actually brought you in to be a co-laborer with him, to fan into flame. And so as he's encouraging Timothy to suffer well, he's saying, look, suffer well, and then through that suffering, be used by God again. It's kind of the same message we had last week. And so let's keep reading verse 13. Look, suffer, Timothy, suffer, 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 and then walk in this, he says, 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, the gospel. Believe this. Know this person, Christ. Love him by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And so the second point, you shouldn't just be willing to uh, suffer for the gospel, but you should also walk in the gospel. You should not just be willing to suffer for it, but you should actually walk in the midst of it. Take this good news and live it out in your life. That's the good deposit Paul is talking about, the gospel. The gospel is the good deposit that, uh, that has been entrusted to Timothy, which I love that idea there. In verse 12, Paul says that God will guard us. And then in verse 14, Paul tells Timothy to also guard it. What's happening here is that we are co-laboring with God in this moment. He's allowed us to interact with him in this plan of salvation. And just like God entrusted Paul with the gospel, he says, so now he's also entrusting Timothy with the gospel. And he's saying to steward it. Like, y'all, what a powerful, unbelievable word, entrusted. Think about that word there. 
you have been entrusted with some of God's most precious things, like the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you, who is God himself, or the salvific message of the gospel that is able to save men and women. God has entrusted that upon you. There are gifts that are inside of you, fruit that is within you, that God has entrusted to you because he wants you to co-labor with him. He did not just save you and that's it. He actually saved you and called you to something higher. This is beautiful. Like, look, me and Natalie don't even entrust people to our kids often because we all know them and those are valuable possessions to us. Like, we love them. We're not just going to entrust anybody like, hey, can I sit your kids? It's like, I don't know you, fam, right? And no, that means no. God has entrusted. <laughs> Whoa, that was like scary, yo. Like, it like echoed really weird in my ear. That like scared me. I was like, is the Lord coming back? Okay, here we go, all right? <laughs> Hey, look, 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 we don't even do that, right? And so in the same way, family, God has actually entrusted you and I to his kids, like sons and daughters that he wants to bring into the kingdom because we proclaim the gospel to them. That's what God's entrusted you with, his children. I wouldn't even entrust you with my kids. God entrusts you with his, though, because he loves you. He didn't just save you. He actually called you to something higher than yourself. And that's what he's telling Timothy here. He's entrusted us with the gospel. He's handing the torch to us. He's entrusting us with this. He's telling us to run for the sake of his name. And so Timothy, don't just suffer for the gospel, but walk in it, live in it, understand it, begin to believe it, man, carry it out to others. And uh, God encouraged Paul to write this to Timothy and to pin it down so that we can have it as well because he wants to encourage us in the same thing to suffer for the gospel, and to walk in the gospel. Now, Paul closes this section with actually giving two personal and practical examples of the exact same exhortation he just gave Timothy. So what we're about to read in these people are the exact same truths we just talked about. Be willing to suffer for the gospel and be willing to walk in the gospel. Paul just gets really practical as to what that looks like. And so let's finish our section, verse 15. It says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelius and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of one Sephorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. And so we see some shady dudes fronting on Paul, and then we see a faithful guy, all right? And so to the dudes that were stunting on Paul, it's really easy. They were ashamed of Paul in the message, right? They didn't want to associate with them, so they left him. He gives two practical examples because Timothy probably knows them because they probably used to be in Timothy's church. And they end up leaving Paul because they were ashamed of the gospel message. Listen, y'all, this is easy to do, okay? Let us not think we're so rooted in Christ that that can't be our fate either, that we end up denying Jesus and denying people who preach Jesus and really watering down the gospel to our own invention rather than entrust God and his word and carry that out well. We can begin to belittle it to something that we create instead of something that God has created just like he created us and wants us to walk in it. So we see this reality, right? It's easy to hide behind our own strength and deny Christ. But Paul's saying once again, look, I want you to be strong and to trust Jesus. Be willing to suffer for him. Don't be like these two brothers. They end up denying the faith, denying me, departing from it, starting to say something else. No, I want you to suffer for the gospel because even when others ridicule us, they ain't even really ridiculing us 
Because if you're actually hiding behind the gospel, they ain't ridiculing you. They're ridiculing the gospel you hide behind. Therefore, they're actually ridiculing God. And last I checked, God was a lion who could defend himself. And so when we feel shame, it's usually because we're trying to hide behind ourselves rather than hide behind God and entrust him to actually enact for us. Amen? And so we need to realize that, right? And that's what the Christians throughout the history have done. In fact, I want to show you a picture. Uh, this is a picture of a man named uh, Alexa Minos. This is actually the first known picture of Christ being crucified. It's actually the first picture we have of Jesus. And so on your left, my right, we see the original picture is uh, carved into a wall, obviously. And then the other side of it is just shown so we can see it more clearly, okay? And so this is what it looked like. And so the earliest known depiction of Jesus and what he looked like and who he was was actually a depiction of Christ and the cross in mockery because they were calling Jesus a donkey or an ass. Same word we use today. They had the same shame that was associated with it. And so by Alexamonas being the one who was actually worshiping Jesus, they're saying, hey, you're worshiping a donkey as well. You are, by association with him, a donkey as well. You are an A-word, right? You are somebody who is kind of associating here. But Alexamonas, though he didn't know it, he was uh, suffering mockery for the sake of Jesus, and it has been captured even for us to see, because our question now is, was his eye truly on a donkey that had no power, or was his eye on the Lamb of God who could save? You see, Alexamonas, though the world began to throw shade at him, he knew the one whom he believed. He believed not in some donkey, but in the Lamb of God that gave him hope and joy and peace. And so he was willing to suffer mockery for the sake of Jesus. And by his association, they begin to belittle him. But he knows that even though the world belittles, God will not. He will elevate, and he believes in the power of God. And we must do the same thing. You see, people, some, are not willing to suffer for the gospel that if this was plastered on 35 with some billboard, but it was your face and saying, this guy's a fool for worshiping, like a lot of us would be afraid to do that at times. Or let's make it more personal when your coworker is like, I just don't like this person. And then you gotta see them every day and you gotta keep praying for them. Or your mom thinks you're a fool for following Jesus or whatever it might be. Like, man, do you believe in the power of the gospel and have your eyes been set and fixed on Jesus enough so that even if you start suffering for the gospel, you're willing to walk in that. See, it's actually an honor to suffer for Jesus. And so Paul, some people denied his message and denied him and was unwilling to suffer Suffer. But Winsoforus was the exact opposite of those two brothers. He was more, they, he was more like Alex Minos, right? Who was able to uh, stand firm in the gospel message. Winsoforus is really an unsung hero in a lot of ways. He wasn't ashamed of Paul. He was willing to uh, be an example of somebody who walked in the gospel. Like he was faithful to God, faithful to God's people, and God blessed him for that. He really fanned into flame the gifts that he had. He was willing to suffer for the gospel and was willing to identify with Paul. And then Paul says in verse 18, and Timothy, you know all the work that he was doing there in Ephesus as well. In other words, he's not just blessing me, he's continuing to fan into flame, he's blessing your church as well. And so he was walking in this gift that he had. He was unashamed of Paul and using his gift to make much of Jesus. He was willing to suffer for the gospel and he was walking in the gospel that Christ might be proclaimed. Once the forest is a picture of a guy who is faithful to Jesus. And look, y'all, my man didn't do anything extraordinary. Like, look at what he did. He went, 
phone pole? <laughs> like, that's hard. There's no cell phones, right? <laughs> I mean, but that ain't that hard, right? Go into a city, start asking around, hey, do you know Paul? Do you know Paul? He encouraged him. He was persistent. It says he searched for him often. And so he was consistent in Paul's life. Like, like, that's it, right? He didn't do a whole lot that would seem like, oh man, let's exalt this guy. But because of his faithfulness in Paul's life, it revived and refreshed Paul's faith, and it gave Paul the confidence to continue going forward and preaching the gospel message. And so once the forces, encouragement of Paul might have led Paul to preach more boldly, and it might be the reason that you and I are sitting here today. That man's faithfulness led to Paul's boldness, which led to the gospel being proclaimed, which may lead to our hands being raised in a few minutes as we worship Jesus. These really simple acts of faith, y'all, they change eternity. When we are faithful where we are, when we use our gifts in small ways, when we sacrificially serve, even in ways that we don't really want to, but we're doing it for the name of Jesus, we have to believe that something is happening in the kingdom that can make much of Christ. As you are faithful and you maintain this faithfulness, the kingdom of God is blessed, y'all. Like, can I give you a real practical example? Last week, the ushers go, it's early in the morning, they get here at seven, and they set up signs, okay? Now look, y'all, it's the winter, and I know I'm from Detroit, it ain't that cold. It's still cold, y'all, let's be real. We used to 100, it's like 30, right? And so they're out there setting up signs, okay? And look, I just guarantee you that nobody's like, I'm setting up this sign for the glory of God, hallelujah, right? <laughs> like that's hard to remember at that moment. You're just putting up the sign and you're leaving, Okay? Well, last week, somebody saw the sign and was like, what is that? Found out it was a church, came into our church, was like, man, I want to know about this church. And they came in, and they gave their life to Jesus last week, y'all. Like, like, hallelujah, okay? And look, yes, the gospel got preached. They heard the worship song. There's all these other moving pieces. We welcome them well. But it began with something so simple that maybe the usher didn't even really want to do that that morning. But setting up a sign that may now be the reason that somebody spends eternity with Jesus. This simple act of faithfulness ends up making kingdom impact. And so as we're faithful in these little ways, just like once the forest was, as we walk in the calling of God, man, God can actually take that and multiply it and make much of his name, amen? Like, let us walk in that. Let us be faithful in this to continue to live out the gospel in this beautiful way. I can't tell you how many times I got in a text or an email from somebody where I've been down and your simple act of encouragement encouraged me to keep preaching the gospel. It's the tiny things that sustain us often. It's the little acts of setting up chairs and I'm watching somebody and going, look at that dude serving. While these other 10 guys are trying to holler at girls, this dude's just serving. <laughs> I ain't trying to lay shade, all right? Just saying, okay? Girls like a man who serves, so just get that in your head, all right? <laughs> right? And literally, y'all, it blesses me. I'm being serious, right? Like, it blesses me to be able to see that sacrifice, these little moments of faith. If we're willing to both be faithful where we are and then also suffer for the gospel, the kingdom of God will expand aggressively through us. The kingdom of God will begin to push back darkness in this city as I believe he wants to use this church to do. But we have to be willing to suffer, to pick up our cross and die, to begin to walk in the reality of who Jesus is. We need to be a bunch of one Sephoras for the sake of the gospel. And here's why, family. Because one Sephoras is nothing more than a pointer to the true and greater servant, our King Jesus. You see, this man, he actually went into enemy territory, Rome, 
and he began to search diligently for Paul, and he looked all over for Paul, and he was willing to associate with a criminal because he loved him enough to begin to refresh him and to bring gospel truth to him once and for as did what it took to encourage Paul in his faith. But he stopped short, and that all he did was associate with Paul because that's all he could do because he was a human. Jesus is the greater one, Sephoris. You see, Jesus also comes into enemy territory, the earth, and he begins to search diligently for us. He leaves the 99 until he finds the one, and he searches for us often, just as once before us often found Paul. God is often calling out to us, and he's often trying to stir up our spirit to him. And he goes, and he actually is willing to identify with you, even though he was called a, a, a friend of sinners, and he was mocked, and he was beaten. And in fact, he was so much ashamed that he ends up being crucified shamely on a cross, naked, as they rolled dice for his clothing, because he was willing to associate with you. But he didn't just associate. He did more than that. He also stood in your place. You see, Jesus was willing to take on the shame that is deserved for us and wear that shame as a garment so that he might one day clothe you with glory. Jesus suffered so that we, even if we suffer momentarily, will one day have no more tear will one day be rich forever in our King Jesus, will one day have eternal relationships there is no conflict between, that one day we'll get to stand forever with our God. Jesus is the greater ones for us. He's the greater Paul. He's the greater Timothy. Jesus is who we should look to. And as we look to Jesus, and as we fix our eyes on him, as Paul encourages in verses 9 through 11, go read that again, this life, this immortality that comes through Jesus. You are immortal. What can touch you? Is what he's saying. Look, so what if people might throw shade right now? You are one day going to live forever with Jesus, suffer for the gospel, walk in the gospel. As we look toward Jesus, we can make much of our king here in this city, family of God. We can highlight his beauty. We can push back darkness. Look, as a church, we want to continue to do that. In fact, even in the fall, or I'm not in the spring, uh, this semester, right, we have a bunch of things that we want to roll out to kind of help you learn how to find your gifts and how to use your gifts and different classes. And we hope in CGs, there's all this uh, multiplication and discipleship that's happening. We want to make those even stronger. And in the fall, there might be some things coming up where we get to further train and equip. But look, all this is worthless if our eyes aren't fixed on our worthy king. All of it means nothing if we're not focused on Jesus. But if we focus on Jesus, then we're willing to suffer for the gospel, and then we walk in the gospel, and we make much of Jesus. God wants to use you for eternal things, family. He wants to use your gifts to make much of his name and to literally impact people's eternities. Will you be a part of that? Sometimes that might mean ridicule, Sometimes that might mean suffering just comes in your life because he's trying to sanctify you so that he can use you. Will you embrace it so that you can be used by God? Because I promise you, when you are used by God, there is very few things in life that bring more joy because you're walking with him directly and you know that you're a part of something awesome and big. Let's remember that even in the small things like setting up signs, we are a part of it. And then as we do that, he'll expand those gifts and make much of his name. Let us carry the torch and fan into flame for the sake of Jesus. I would run up here with the torch again this week, but I don't want to burn the school down before we leave, all right? <laughs> but let's get that image in our head. We are torchbearers for the sake of Jesus. Let's do that well, amen? Hey, I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for taking our chains and our sin. May our punishment
You should have mocked us, God. We were against you, wanted nothing to do with you. Many of us can remember days where we literally ridiculed you, like I did in that mall. (laughs) But you loved us enough to be persistent and faithful. You laid your life down. You died that we might have life. Thank you for that. Would you make every man and woman in here who has professed faith in you, like once before us, would you make us faithful in the little things, carrying out, just being a good dad, being a good mom, like we saw last week, being bold with our faith, sharing even if people think that we are worshiping a donkey, we're not, we're worshiping the power of God. Let us be bold for you. Be willing to suffer. Help us to walk in our gifts, God. And for those who do not know you as king, God, I pray over them as well. Maybe they're not sure where they stand with you. They're not sure if they're followers or not, or they know they're not. Friend, I want to tell you today you can have a relationship with the God of the universe. He wants to save you and bring you into eternity. That when you die, you don't just die but you actually pass on to glory and live forever. But he doesn't want to just change your eternity. He wants to change your now. To use you to be a part of something bigger. To actually do what he created you for. This is what he's inviting you into. We don't believe in a theology. We believe in a person. So today, you can have a relationship with him. If you say, Jesus, I want you. I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want to walk in relationship with you. And God, for all of us who have made that our prayer at some point in our life, would you use us for your glory? You are worthy for us to pour out our lives for. Let us pour it out for the sake of the kingdom. We love you, Jesus. Praise in your name. Amen.